You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Howdy Yeti Mike on Lindsay's living room table. It was a coffee table, actually. It wasn't even a fucking like real table. It was just a coffee table. Well, it's a real table. And uh, we would sit, sit on either side, and that's how we do it. And then when we, we had enough money, I think it was like the next year, to buy the proper mics and like have the proper setup. It wasn't like this. It was, it was handheld mics, and we would plug it in and everything and have headphones and we felt so so pro, so pro. <laughs> oh my god! The handheld mic. Oh my god! Did you do like different singing <laughs> styles just to try it out? Yes, we loved it. And like we had, I think we had four of them, either three or four of them. And so you know that that was that was a big deal for us to like be able to afford our own gear and like have the proper setup. And as opposed to like. When we would do interviews, we would all have to crowd around this one little mic. Yeah. <laughs> it was cozy, but we, yeah, we made it work. What was your very first podcast episode you did? Do you remember? Our very first podcast episode was a really painful episode. <laughs> painful in the sense of embarrassment um, on my part, uh, where basically we just talked about ourselves and like who we were as you know, two two young mothers wanting to talk about sexuality, wanting to talk about motherhood. And I can remember trying to, Lindsay at one point, you know, at this point, Lindsay, she had already had her own business. She was a public speaker. So like going into the podcast wasn't that big of a, it wasn't that big of a stretch, I suppose. And so I can remember sitting across from her and her being like, hi, I'm Lindsay Emla and I do this and I do that. And, blah, blah, blah. and then she's like, and then she looks at me and she's like, and who are you? And I'm like, oh. deer in the headlights. Yeah, I'm like, I'm Sarah. I'm a mom. And I don't know, it's cool. <laughs> like just, it was so, so bad. So you are Sarah, Sarah Cresswell. <laughs> Here in the flesh on Mike and Kristen's podcast. <laughs> yeah, hopefully and, not so awkward. <laughs> and if you, someone asks you today, Sarah, who are you? Oh, man, what a good segue. What would you say? <laughs> Fuck, okay, I don't want to repeat what I said two years ago. Okay. Yeah, second chances here. Second, I'm going to redeem myself. This is my redeeming moment. Okay. Hi, I'm Sarah Cresswell. <laughs> I'm a mother and an artist. Um, I also am the owner of Sanctuary. Uh, Sanctuary is um, an expressive art studio. Um, I basically open up a space for people to come in, sit down, uh, experience art as therapy. Um, I'm really interested in the spiritual side of art, uh, of creativity, of taking people on a journey into their subconscious. Um, I do that through my work. I do it through my art. I do it through my mothering in weird ways. Um, I'm also a homeschooling mom. I do a little bit of everything. Um, some days I don't know how I keep it all together, but um, I do and I love it. And I'm really happy to be here today. 
<laughs> uh, we're we're so thrilled to have you. And I, it's funny. I was telling Mike when you and I first met how we had in common that we don't know a lot of other mm-hmm. painters. Like, yeah. We know lots of creative people, but just not specifically visual artists. I don't know why that is. There's lots of us around, but we don't seem to hook up that much. Or I something. think it's because we're hermits. That could be. I think it's. I think the creative life is both a blessing and a curse. A blessing in that you are so connected to this deep river within yourself. And when you meet someone else who also has a creative life, you instantly connect. You both know the depths that you go to. They might be completely different rivers. They might flow in different directions, but you understand each other. That's the blessing. But the curse is that in order to really embrace the creative life, there has to be a certain amount of solitude. There has to be a certain amount of invulnerability of of creating this this world that you allow yourself you immerse yourself in and just give your absolute everything to but then you you got to come up for air and when you come up for air you you remind yourself of all the ways that staying connected to the physical world staying connected to your family to your friends if you have children to your children you know, to your whatever else, to your pets, whatever the fuck it is, how important it is for to for the creative life. But you know, when you come up for air, you're almost like you you first think of the the necessities. What are your priorities? And a lot of the time, you know, going out and meeting new people isn't one of the priorities. You just kind of take care of yourself, and then you go back into it, and then you come out, and then you go back into it. If you are lucky enough in that you get to work with other people and you get to meet other people and collaborate, then that's your that's a that's a pretty great situation to be in. And so that's I've realized that in my own art of how important it is to collaborate with other creatives and and like meld our minds together. I really like bonding with other artists over their process. Yeah. Like, when I meet another songwriter, I'm like, oh, how do you go about it? And yeah. It's just like because you have come across someone who does exactly what you do and maybe they do it in a slightly different way. Yeah. But that's a, it's a good way to even just learn new ways to approach it. Like some people, when I say, yeah, hey, I'm a songwriter too. What do you do to create a song? And they say, well, <laughs> I start writing in a notebook first. Like, wow, I start with <laughs> playing my guitar. And then it's, uh, you know, you just, you dive right into it because you're just instantly, you have that connection. So I want to ask, so you are both artists, you two ladies I'm looking at here. Um, <laughs> what? And I know how Kristen's process works because I live with her and watch her create and True. see what her what her mind goes through to come up with big ideas and mm-hmm. small ideas, every idea yeah. to see how she approaches it. You as an artist, and I, I know right now you're doing almost the, the therapy to style art, but just in your own creation, how, how did you begin approaching it and where are you at now with it? Oh, man, what a big question. Ha <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> You know what? I immediately, my first response to that is like, art is such a natural, oh man, it feels kind of cringy to say. It, say it. But, ugh, <laughs> it's like a natural thing. I don't know. Like there's never been a point in my life where I haven't been a creative kid. Yeah. I haven't been a creative person. Um, 
And so trying to articulate what that, how to be creative almost feels like I'm articulating how I function as a human being because it just kind of goes hand in hand. And at times in my life when I wasn't creative, I really wasn't a healthy person. I wasn't healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, But I will say over the last couple of years, um, you know, there was a long period where my art felt kind of, um, what's the word? Muted, sterile, kind of felt sterile. and Stagnant. Stagnant. And it was unfortunate because it was through my, my, my education as a graphic designer, I lost a lot of the soul of creativity. You know, I, I was just so focused on the client, on what was needed from me. And if, and if you are inherently a creative person, if, if this is something that has been with you as a child, you know, that has deep fucking roots. Mm-hmm. That ain't something that you just one day wake up and say, yeah, I'm just going to make art. That is legit a part of who you are. And I can remember going through college and just immediately, like always coming up against resistance within myself to continue forward. And I just kept pushing through because I was like, well, this is how I make money. This is how I support myself. This is what I need to do. I don't want to be a starving artist. Yeah, I really want to paint. I want to do this. And I want to like just move off into an island and just like paint and be within myself and listen to Led Zeppelin and, you know, do mushrooms and blah, blah, blah. But like, <laughs> I have to be a responsible human being. And so um, I gave birth to my first son in um, 2016. And... When I gave birth to him, birth is such a, uh, every, I think every mother will say this. Some mothers have traumatic stories, but it's a very spiritual experience. It really fucking just rips you wide open and everything. You know what it's like? I'm just, I'm noticing a parallel here. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite curious there. <laughs> okay. There's something. Okay. I, uh, I don't know if this is going to make sense. Um, but it, it's coming up for me, so I'm just going to say it. So, yeah. like, I don't know if you guys, if when you were in your teenage years, like when you were experimenting with, like, drugs and alcohol. <laughs> when you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no assumption here. Okay. All right. Okay. This, that, this is a safe space. During yeah. that defined period <laughs> yeah. where you're 100% pounding. Pounding the cocaine yeah. in rural Nova Scotia. Heavy access. All the the party drugs. So happy this is a safe space. (laughs) (laughs) So childbirth, uh, heroin. Let's let's keep going here. (laughs) What am I doing here? This is a weird parallel. Okay, no. So like when you're a teenager, and I I was just talking about this the other day with my partner. I can remember when I was a teenager, uh, you know, as a teen, we're all kind of fucked up, right? Like we're all dealing with our own little emotional things and this, that, and the other. I had my own little bag of shit that, you know, I stuffed down and f- like whatever. And I remember when I would smoke marijuana as a teenager, I would get so paranoid and so anxious. And I didn't like, I remember looking around at my friends and being like, why are you guys all having this like wicked experience? And I'm over here just like tripping balls and, and like in the green zone and like not having a great time. And then... Fast forward like into my late 20s and when I finally started smoking weed again, because I went a long time without smoking it. I remember smoking it again and being like, holy shit, like, wow, once I dealt with all my shit, 
Like once I really looked at all of my crap in my life and like opened up that bag of shit and looked in and like took it out and dealt with it, then I was really able to like positively interact with marijuana and like other drugs. I mean, I never had an issue with like psychedelics, always loved psychedelics. But I guess the parallel I'm making here is that what childbirth does is it tears you the fuck open. It puts that shit bag in front of you and it doesn't matter if you're ready to deal with it. It's fucking coming out because literally this is going to get graphic. Your body gets ripped open. And at the same time, your fucking just whole entire being gets ripped open. And so after I gave birth, I was like, Oh, all right. Okay. So there's all this shit here that for years I've just thought, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm over it. It's all good. And now I really have to dig into it. And it was through being a mother through Noticing that as an artist, I was stagnant and sterile and hating it um, and having this shit bag un unveil itself that I really started to dig into it. And then eventually over the you know next couple of years, I started smoking weed again. And I was like, wow, now I can really interact with this experience. Now I can really like appreciate at this as a tool. So this was a weird weird tangent uh, uh, off from the original question, but um, I will say that. <laughs> I like how I, I do appreciate how many times you said shit bag there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, life is just filled with lots of shit bags. Everyone's yeah. process is different. Yeah, yeah you so, know, you do so, you. This is the segue. Yeah. My art really was a culmination of me digging into that shit bag of my life, not being afraid of it anymore, and using art as the tool to dig into it. And my art completely changed. Like as a teenager, my art was very psychedelic. Like I took a lot of reference from the psychedelic posters of the 60s and 70s because I was a really big fan of that music of that time. Still am. And so I always had this like really weird element to my art. But then once I started to really uh, unload all of the crap in my life and the wounds and trauma and PTSD and all of that shit, I noticed that my art became far more powerful than I ever thought it could be. And so it, it became a spiritual tool for me. It became a healing tool for me. It no longer was about how can I take this idea and reflect it onto paper and make it look amazing. Now it was about how can I take this feeling and transfer it down onto the paper exactly as I feel it and not be afraid to look at it and don't fucking edit it. Just get it down onto paper. And it was through this process with an art therapist by my side who was helping me through it that I finally came back to this this desire of mine since I was a teenager to be an art therapist. And I took the plunge and I, I believed in myself and I started holding space for people to also dive into the shit bag of their lives mm -hmm. <laughs> and to not be afraid to look at it in whatever way it had to come up and out and, and no matter how messy it was. And so I think I, my art is a very messy, ugly <laughs> representation and also beautiful uh, represent, representation of, of who I am. Wow, that was a big answer. That, I, yes, I'm floored now. <laughs> I feel like I need to go express myself in this moment. I'm to ask, what's your favorite color next? To make this just dial it back a little <laughs> yeah. bit here, Mike. Start, start simple. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? <laughs> I, I actually am curious about where you where you grew up and how art came into your life at an early age because you said you you were creating art as a teenager. Oh, yeah. Um, what's your 
What's your childhood like? Wow. <laughs> That's another easy one. <laughs> All right. I'll, gi- I'll give you the uh, the quick and dirty. Um, I grew up in Pictou County. I'm originally from Westville. Oh, okay. Yeah. I am the youngest of four. My father is a musician, a drummer. He is very uh, well known throughout Pictou County as Johnny Bongo, Johnny Boy, Johnny the Drummer. Okay. Um, and my mother is, she is an incredible human being. Her name is Inez. Um, and she's, she was an artist. And so I grew up in this household of wild children. Um, I had one sister, two brothers. And, and so I kind of grew up in, you know, being the youngest, unfortunately, I love my siblings, different relationships now, but unfortunately being the youngest, I was often left to my own devices. They didn't want to play with me, you know, little Sarah, baby sister, they didn't want to include me in their cool games of track down and fuck like, oh, man, I'd look out the window at night and watch them all run around the woods playing tag. And I'd be like, fuck you guys. <laughs> um, but by being left into my own devices, you know, I was able to develop this like really vivid world within myself. Um, and my father, he is such a um, prominent community figure. He's, um, you know, within within the church, um, within his music, um, he's he really created this role model, this beautiful role model for myself of that I can be both family person and artist, that I can be both. And my mother, she's just an incredible human being, and she dealt with all of my shitbag stuff and still really encouraged me to go after everything. And you know, uh, I put them through a lot. All of my my escapades as a teenager, um, I put them through a lot. But um, every step of the way, they they really encouraged all those endeavors. And um, yeah, it's it's I, 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 I childhood is is um, I think it's more of an impression on people than than people understand. I think we look back at our childhood and look back at those really awesome memories or not so great memories. And we think, yeah, you know, it's childhood. Everybody has a shitty, shitty childhood. La, 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 la. But I think that um, where we come from, how our lives begin, the people who influence us, those impressions are soul deep and they reside in your subconscious and they come out through your acts of creativity. They come out through your, through your spirituality. They come out through your sexuality. And, and that, that is a tricky pickle for a lot of people to understand um, that, you know, and, and I'm part of my work and what I do is, is um, I really believe that sexuality, creativity, and your inner child are all inherently linked and um, to properly, you know, like care for yourself and care for your soul. You got to dig into this shit and um, we get, you know, looking back on where we came from and who we are that's all part of the process, baby. Like there's so much juice that resides there. And I think a lot of us have this inclination to want to look forward in life, but a lot of the time it's necessary to create a balance of looking forward and looking backwards simultaneously, like allowing yourself to appreciate both where you've come from and where you're going. The more I dig into any kind of therapy really or spiritual teaching. And I listened to a podcast recently with Mel Robbins and she was interviewing a therapist who specialized in anxiety and mm. he claimed that and he's you know, dedicated his life's work to this um tapping into the root of anxiety and 
the more I learn about this, everyone's kind of saying the same thing about it. It manifests itself in your childhood. So it really, that really stands out for me for you to describe that, you know, creativity, sexuality, the inner child, the, the harmony between them and how it impacts us as adults and I know that, yeah, part of your work is digging into that, but would you agree that like the, who we are as adults, our behaviors, the decisions we make would, do you agree that the majority of that comes from, yeah, our younger years? Um, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Because I think, honestly, I think everyone who is walking around, walking around downtown, walking into their work, sitting at their job. They're both sitting there in the person that they are presenting, and they're sitting there as the inner child. They're sitting there as the little person. Like, that little you is with you all day, every day. And it's it's informing you. When you have those triggers and you, and you re, or you react to something and you don't know where it's coming from, a lot of the time it's coming from the little that resides inside of you. And we all just keep – we – when we get out of high school, we're like, yeah, I'm done with childhood. Woo, I'm going to college. Yeah, I'm grown up. And it's like, <laughs> what's missing from society is this initiation. We, we just kind of like glaze over. We glaze over these, these milestones within our lives of like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving high school. I'm just going to go to college. I'm going to drink a bunch. Okay, I'm done at college. Now I'm going to go get that job. Okay, now I got the job. Now I'm going to get married. Okay, I guess what's expected of me now is to have kids. We just keep glazing over these milestones within our lives. But what's really happening on the inside is there's this little kid inside who's like, yo, I, wait, we, we got a job. Holy shit. We went to college. Oh my God. You're going to get married. Oh my God. Is this really what we want to do? What, what, what about when we said that we wanted to do that? Did you forget about that? What about that thing that didn't we want to go on that adventure? Man, you forgot about that. That little voice inside of you is really that little kid inside of you who's always going to be with you. You know, like so much of, of, of what we experience early on imprints who we are for the rest of our lives. And yeah, we spend the majority of our lives as, as an adult, but our subconscious, a lot of people don't know this, but our subconscious talks to us. It speaks to us through imagery and symbolism. And it speaks to us through the inner child because the inner, the child and being a mother myself, I noticed that children, they interpret the world through this vividness through this collection of imagery and symbols, you know, they don't sit down and have an intellectual conversation with you. They sit down and tell you what colors they noticed today or what that kid was wearing or that image they saw or that really cool thing they saw on the side of the wall. What was that, mom? Like they notice things in these, in, in imagery. And that's when we get older and we lose touch with the inner child, it's coming to us through those synchronicities of those images that we see, of those things that pop out to us. And so to contact that part of you, dig into it by, by with art. Like it's, it's like, oh man, um, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And once you really tap into it, it's hard to tap back out of it. Mm. I find it's so I, like you're, you speak with so much passion. I can feel that this is meaningful to you. It's authentic. You're clearly doing what you're meant to do. And having worked with a number of clients that you have, how do you deal with the declaration that I'm not creative? Oh, I love it. I love when people come to me and they're like, I don't know why I'm here. 
my friend said that this would be great. You know, I, I'm not artistic, but uh, I'm just, you know, I'm here, I'm here to have a good time. And every time I have a person who comes in, whether it's like a one-to-one session or it's an event, um, I, I always enjoy that opportunity um, because I feel like those people have the most to gain. And what I often say um, to someone who believes that they are unartistic, that they don't have something to offer, what I often say to them is, um, please just enjoy yourself and make something hideously ugly. That's your only focus. Just come here to make something ugly. Get as messy as humanly possible and um, enjoy yourself. And every time, every time uh, they come out of the session or come out of the event and they're like, holy shit, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know that I had those things inside of me. I didn't know that I could put those things together. And I'm like, all it takes is for you to just put your hands in paint and believe that, you know, you can do it. You can show up. You got yourself here and just take the pressure off because we all have so much pressure riding on ourselves every day, you know, to get to work, to do this, to eat that, to be healthy, to feed the cat, to do that. That um, when it comes to art, we're kind of stunted. We don't know where to begin, you know? So a lot of the time it's just like, just fuck around. That's what I've discovered is like, mm-hmm. once you take off the pressure of like, I've got to make this and you just allow yourself to fuck around, that's where the magic comes out. Every time. And I think people show artistic tendencies in different ways too. Oh, yeah. Like someone might never put uh, paint on a canvas, but they they garden and they're just they have a vision of how they want to look or even in sports, like like there's an artistry to athletic people. Like it's it's different than the art that people normally think of, but there's just when you watch someone who is good at what they do they there's just a a total full embodiment of art in that i think anyway absolutely you know and and you can apply that same uh principle of of fucking around and making you know making a mess to anything right so like i feel like i have a burp coming on let it out (sighs) mike and i will sing while uh um what's our lay down sally (laughs) Rest me in your arms. I've been trying all night long just to talk to you. Man, over just... to Sarah. <laughs> Lay down, Sally. Rest me in your Three part harmony. Just <laughs> to talk to you. That's all I know. Uh, the burp is gone. It's okay. Um, but yeah, I think that same principle applies. Like, no matter if you are an athlete, if you're a dancer, if you're a baker, if you're a carpenter, how people engage with their craft is by fucking around, is just like, just allowing themselves to explore the materials, putting some things together. If it doesn't work, whatever, you know, like not being afraid to fail, not being afraid to make a mess, not being afraid to just try something new. That's where the magic comes out, I think. And that's where... um... I don't know if revelations is the right word, but when when things are taken to another level, it's always from people just experimenting. Like, and again, I don't want to make this all sports analogies, but like you see the progression of things. Like, if you watch any sport nowadays versus twenty years ago, it's flashier. People yeah, are slightly true. like everyone is is better. Like. 
the the, the skill set of everyone has rose because people are just experimenting. Oh, this guy did that. Now I'm going to do that. And then if that person never experimented, then the other group of people would have never learned how to do that. And see, I see that happening within group work. So yeah. like at my sanctuary events, when people are in within a group setting, that one person who's really afraid, right? They'll be sitting there watching everybody else getting into the materials and it inspires them to fuck mm. around and like experiment with stuff. And so there's a, you know, a, then there's a lot of value in in group in collaboration in in getting together with other people who are willing to engage in whatever process it is whether it's athleticism whether it's dancing whether it's art whether you know it's singing whatever it yeah. is but, you know book clubs you know like there's mm -hmm. there's something that happens when you get within a setting with other people and allow your minds to expand and meld and like you know just just into whatever whenever you're trusting I think part of the fear and creativity, too, is just the acceptance of that. Yeah. So what will other people think of this thing I made? Yeah. Or what does this mean? And so I can certainly appreciate that being in a group setting gives that sense of permission or mm -hmm. acceptance or this is safe. It's okay for me to go and make marks on paper yeah. just like everyone else. And I, I've had the benefit of doing a one-on-one -on -one session with you and had that immediate level of comfort. And I'm an artist. So I don't I didn't walk in saying I'm not a creative yeah, person because right? this is how I'm making a living as well. Yet I still had a feeling of this is a new experience. So I feel something uh, like yeah. before we got started, you know, I, I arrived at your house feeling like, I don't know, like, am I gonna be good at this, I mm. guess is what it boils down to. But what I loved, I mean, I loved the whole thing, but you started it by doing it with me. Mm. So even in a one-on-one -on -one session, I had that support and comfort of another human being that was like, you know what? I'll just do it with you. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what either one of us make. Yeah. And that was just so liberating for me. Oh, that was a really fun session. And it was really fun for me on the other side of it you know, n knowing that you were an artist, you know, that was one thing of like, oh man, I've got an artist coming and we're going to make art together. And then two, knowing what style of art it, it was that you make and seeing you make something totally different, that was really interesting to me, you know? And so I, I, I love connecting with people. I'm a, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a, person person i'm a people person that's the thing i'm a people person i love connecting with people and i love doing it through creativity and you know there's and, I, and it, is, it doesn't matter what kind of creative element it is you know growing up in a musical household i would often go with my dad to his gigs and set up and watch him play and i would be backstage with him watching him converse with other people and musicians he didn't know and and meeting new people and i always loved that there was this like meeting point of like two creatives meeting, two people who made make art, make creativity, who engage in that life meeting and just like, just, just getting on. And there's the conversations that come out of that place, come out of that zone are so organic and so awesome. I love all the conversations that come out of the events, you know, when people sit down and they just start doing work with their hands the conversations that blossom is beautiful and that session that we had together was equal like that was one of you know i don't have favorite sessions but i really enjoyed the conversations that arose out of our session together because you as an artist we were able to relate to one another mm -hmm. in a way that i don't often get to relate with other people you know a lot of people i work with call themselves unartistic 
or they kind of dabble in it here and there, but they wouldn't call themselves an artist. And here me and you were being like, we are both artists. We both appreciate it. We work in this realm. We call ourselves artists. And here we are engaging in the process in a completely different way, in a way that engages our soul and we are communicating with it. And so it was beautiful to, to connect with you in that setting and to sit beside each other and talk with one another and laugh with one, one another while we were doing that soul work. Um, yeah. How does the spiritual side integrate into your creativity or like how did that evolution happen for you that th- those worlds collided? That I, 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 I grew up in a somewhat religious household. Um, it wasn't like overly religious. My father is a religious man. He goes to church. Um, but I, I never really um, gravitated towards uh, organized religion, even from an early age. And it was after I had um, a traumatic um, episode experience happened in my childhood um, that it really made me question God. And so I went most of my life believing that I was mostly my life atheist or agnostic, I would, I would, I would say, I would identify with. And then um, it was actually through my work uh, as the co-host on Momgasm podcast, um, you know, we talked about motherhood and sexuality every week. And we were committed to being, to showing everyone real motherhood, real people, real shitbag situations mm-hmm. that come from motherhood and sexuality. And so within that, that context, I actually talked about a lot of heavy stuff. Um, I talked about the sexual trauma that happened in my life. I talked about actually um, during the uh during momgasm, my partner and I separated and we did an episode during the separation, like pretty soon after the separation. We we're still together. Um, it was a period trial separation, but we we documented all of it. Like we were That's vulnerable. We were vulnerable to an extreme. And I I was on board with it, but then I got to a point where I realized that the vulnerability had actually excavated more than I was prepared to excavate. And I had to take care of myself. And so it was through that experience um, that I contacted an art therapist. I was like, listen, like Sarah, we're going to bring, we got to do this girl. We got to, we got to deal with this shit. Like you're talking about it on, on a podcast It's triggering. So like, let's finally dig into it. And it was through the experiences of our therapy that um, my spirituality just completely took off. Um, and so my art, I, I don't really talk about this very often. Um, I think art is very personal, you know, like in, in a certain degree, you know, like we, there's parts that I obviously share with a lot of people and I want to share with a lot of people. And then there's, there's my own, there's the stuff that I, I reside for myself that I don't share with other people. And that's the spiritual side. Um, I have a very vivid spiritual life. Um, um, I, I, I call it my inner sanctuary and it's this place that I inhabit. You know, when I meditate, I go to this place. It's very vivid. It has many layers. It has many people. It has, it's, 
it's honestly like it, the imagination that I had as a child, I now have as an adult. And it's within these experiences that I'm able to tap into that same level of imagination I had as a kid. And all of my art that I make personally comes from my experiences that I have within my inner sanctuary. It comes from the guides that I meet. It comes from the lessons that I learn. It comes from the wisdom that I receive um, from the higher source. You know, I, I don't claim it has a name, but it's, I definitely have a relationship to something beyond myself and it informs much of what I do. You know, I, I don't, I often envy people who have an idea for art where they're like, I want to make X, Y, and Z, you know? So they get the canvas and they get the paint and they, they map out what they want to paint and they do it layer by layer. And you know, maybe it takes like months or a year to make. Mm. I kind of look at that person and I envy them because my art is like, is, is, is like an explosion. I, uh, when I have an idea, when something needs to come through, it comes through then and there and I don't go back to it. It just all comes out as complete and then it it just exists and I never go back to it. I'm not the type of person where I'm like, I'm going to keep working on this one thing. It just comes out and that's it. And I always thought that that meant that I wasn't a professional artist because I didn't spend X amount of time working on something. But I learned that it was actually just this year I was watching the um, documentary about not it's kind of kind of like a documentary kind of not about Vincent van Gogh and I'd always had appreciation for van Gogh as most of the fucking world has an appreciation for van Gogh most people know his name you know but I didn't really know much beyond him and I didn't know much about him other than he cut his fucking ear off um <laughs> which is like you can yeah anyway um but I, I learned that through his process of art, what he would often do is that when he had an idea, he got it all down then and there, and he didn't go back to it. He was like a one-shot-and-done type of dude. And I remember when I, when I learned that, I was like, no way. Vincent van Gogh was a one-shot-and-done dude, just like me? Oh, my God. And he was like this, like this, you know, famous artist. And that's what he did. He didn't like keep going back to it and, you know, spend lots of time on it. He just, I'm doing exactly what he did. And it like totally shifted how I was perceiving myself in the art world. It shifted that. And, and since then, I've had the confidence to now start selling my art, to sharing my art. And it's, it's man, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. In those creative outbursts mm. that you are very much like Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to its scene. <laughs> uh, when you sat down, there's a real Vincent Van Gogh vibe happening here. Uh, Old VG in the head. VG. Van Gogh. Um, but are you like totally present, totally in the moment when you're doing that? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, you're, you, the way you're describing it feels like you just are, you have to get it in that time frame and you're just completely en engrossed in it and yeah. present, I guess, is the, the, the word that gets thrown around a lot these days. Yeah. And I think we're all trying to find moments and activities and places that make us feel present. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if art does that for you? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, you kind of... Yeah, you hit the you hit the nail on the head there. It's 
you know, w- when I was younger, it was very different. It was very much like a process of like coming back to it over and over again. And now it's, it's, it's that one and done. And when I'm in it, I'm fucking in it and nothing else really exists outside of it. Yeah. Um, and that's the zone, you know, that's the sweet spot. And I feel like there's this weird, almost like mythical nature to the zone. Like when we talk about it, we're like, how do we get there? how do we stay in the zone? And we're like trying to figure it out. What's the concoction? What's the recipe? And I, I've, I've figured out that it's actually way easier than we think it is. And all it takes is just like surrender, like literally just opening yourself up to it. And that's what I do within my sessions. That's like, that's, that's, that is what the like part of the focus. And that's, actually like one of the names of of part of it is focus creation you know i what i do is i help people settle into the space through mark making through literally just making a mess on paper once you settle into the space you you kind of settle into your body and settle into the materials you open yourself up to entering the zone and it's just by following the cues following what you are gravitating towards like if there's a certain color that you're noticing keeps coming up to you or words that keep popping out to you or melodies in your case certain sounds certain things that keep popping up all of that follow that trail that's leading you to that place to the zone and so when i'm in session with someone i'll say to them you know what colors were you gravitating towards within the mark making process what images were coming out for you follow that Put them down on this piece of paper now. And now I want you to get deeper into it. Now I'm going to give you collage materials because collage is like burp coming. Oh, man, every time I say it, it goes away. Lay down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, there's, you just have to follow that trail. Um, and um, once you follow it, you're, you're in it you're golden. You know, it's really not something that you have to force and you can't force it. You can't, you just follow the trail, follow the trail. It's interesting listening to you describe a sort of that reluctance or, uh, you know, the identity crisis of, am I an artist because this is my process and this is not how artists create. Yeah. Because we were talking with a friend of ours, Christina Martin, she interviewed us for her podcast a couple of days ago and she's a musician. And we had the discussion about how, Every so often, and we use the example of songwriting because Mike and Christina both are familiar with that process. And like you might have this just enlightened experience of it comes out on a napkin in a restaurant. Like we've all heard these stories of yep. songwriters and like it just hits you and it becomes a hit. And it's that's how the the flow, that's how you know you're in flow. Mm-hmm. Whereas other musicians might spend or poets or whatever will spend a lifetime on a song to perfect it. And that too, the end result is just as... beautiful or worthy um and it's interesting how with with art and with paint like i'm always asked i'd say the top question i'm asked is how long did it take you to make that painting (laughs) and i always found that yeah like sure it's curious there's there's something wrong with that question you're not familiar with my work like i i'm sure i ask questions all the time to people that are like "Eh, you know yeah that's not the most interesting thing you could ask me about what i do but so i get it but i I've recently been thinking about like the same painting five years ago might have taken me five times as long because I'm learning and experimenting. So because I've become more efficient or I'm more familiar with my materials, I know how to work with them and it takes less time. Does that speak to the worth of the finished product? Mm. So it's just kind of a, it's almost flipped in that 
we have this idea that the longer it takes, the more valuable it is. Whereas the songwriting process is like, no, no, if it comes out in one shot on a napkin, that's how you know you've struck gold. Yeah. So isn't that funny? I also think that a lot of people, since they work a structured amount of time a week, like I work 40 hours a week, I make this amount of money. Mm -hmm. Like they break things down like that. I remember playing a gig once and it was a pretty, it was like a, half hour gig and we got paid pretty good and someone someone asked us go Kristen go pee you can do it you got this girl don't knock the tea over you good you got it so someone asked us uh how much we got made we got paid and yeah. it was well one of our dads so we answered like it wasn't just a stranger yeah. what do you get paid uh and like geez if, if you were getting paid by the hour, that yeah. would be this much. And like, well, right? It's not. We don't just appear there and play, and then we're done. Like we get there, play, do a sound check. Yeah. T- took twenty years to get to the point where we can play on that stage. Yeah. Like right. Thousands of hours of rehearsing and right crafting your songs and and that that is also like a weird concept, you know, because because. You have to factor that in as an artist. You have to factor that into the piece, to to whatever you're doing, how how you're delivering your art. You know that that's what often comes up for me of like when I'm, a, I'm I want to sell a piece of art or you know do whatever, do a session or whatever it is. People often say to me, "Well, Sarah, you also think about like the amount of time it took." For you to get to this point, you know how many years it took for you to learn this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but how do you put a value on that, man? How do you put a value on that? Like, we have such we're also bent up over time equals value, you know, because we're we're always measuring things. We're wanting to measure them all the time, mm-hmm. and we're we're very methodical about it all. And like, there's a large part of my brain that doesn't like being methodical. I'm as much as I would say I don't like chaos, I would say that most of my my brain is chaotic. Like I'm just having thoughts shooting out at all the times and like things, you know, when I have a gut feeling, I just go with it. And people are like, well, didn't you think about it? I'm like, no, I just fucking did it. I'm here. I'm doing it. Like I don't question these things. (laughs) (laughs) And I I guess it's just like not everyone's going to understand the process of what an artist is going through. I'm not going to understand the process of what someone who works, well, any anywhere basically after yeah. an artist, uh, someone who works as a tax person who does, does taxes. Like, I don't know how that <laughs> My works. My brother's a tax person. A tax, tax person. man. Tax man. <laughs> we always use accountant as the yeah. generic role. <laughs> I oh, think, sorry. For some reason, I couldn't think of the word. Someone does taxes. What are they called? Tax man. That's it. <laughs> Professional tax man. <laughs> sure, someone has written that in in their uh, resume before. But I was talking about this actually with our mutual friend, the other Sarah. Uh, oh yeah. Recently, in how yeah, money is one of those things that we all have this mutual understanding about. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to use it as a tool to measure, as you're saying, and especially. As an entrepreneur, you like we worry about things like how much money have I made this month? Because yeah. I mean that's a reality, sure. Yeah. But there are also other I'll, I'll call them measurables, but really other elements of our life that are so much more valuable and important and healthy, like mm-hmm. your well-being and how much time did you get to be outside today? Yeah. And did you get to cook your meal today? Or 
You know, like there's other things that are good for us, but they're almost overlooked because we don't have that same kind of mutual understanding of what they represent. Yeah. And like, and when we're not being productive, if we're not doing something that makes money, there's a tremendous amount of guilt. And a lot of people, I think society deems most art, most creative practices as, as not valuable because they don't make, they don't have a set in stone. You know, every week you're making X amount of money and you're contributing to society in this such a way. And, and as entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of us, we're kind of going against the grain. And especially as creative entrepreneurs, we're even more going against the grain. Mm-hmm. We're having to unlearn so much about what we were taught as children about how to be respectable citizens, how to be responsible and like, you know, do your part of contributing to society. You know, not that we don't contribute to society. I think that artists contribute to society in huge ways, but they go unlooked because it's not contributing in in the the hours, in the making the wheels run. We're contributing in the way of like enhancing. I think we're enhancing the human experience. Mm-hmm. We are providing these experiences, these ideas, these tools, these whatever to enhance the human experience. And in order to be able to do that, you you kind of you got to go against everything you learned in a way. <laughs> like And when the the person who isn't an artist finish their their job for the day or the week, they go to things for enjoyment that an artist makes. Yeah, like often, their, yeah. their life. Yeah. So true. They go watch Netflix, they go watch a band or listen yep. listen to music or a podcast or drive mm-hmm. home. Like all the things people are consuming outside of their their job that makes the the wheels turn yeah. are artistic things. Yeah. So I want to ask you about the sexuality part and the connection to the creativity. How does this come up in sanctuary? What does that session look like? What are you looking for in people? So sexuality is inherently a part of each and every person, and we don't often get to express it. It's often very laced in shame and taboo. But one way that is very um, accessible to, to every human being is your senses, is your taste, touch, smell, hearing. I'm probably, am I missing one? Anyway, the, the, and that that comes out in sanctuary events in, in in whatever way you want to work with me you are engaging your senses um and there is an aliveness there is a vigor there is a vita- vitality that comes into people you know i i i notice that even within myself if if i'm not engaging in the creative process if i'm going through my quiet eras which is another interesting topic to talk about having your stagnant areas and that they are important to the creative process. When I am going through it, I'm noticing that my sexuality also takes a dive because I'm not engaging my senses. And so in order, what I usually will do in order to get myself back into that creative place is engaging with my senses again, is, you know, concentrating on my breathing, eating food that, you know, makes me feel excited, not in the erotic sense, but literally just like I'm stoked to be eating this food, mm-hmm. you know, um, engaging more in touch and play 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 is a huge component of sexuality allowing ourselves just to play and and be 
being natural and in, in our own essence instead of feeling like we have to present ourselves in a certain way. You know, and I feel like a lot of us, we kind of go through life presenting ourselves in a certain way, thinking that we have to, and that takes away from who we really are. And so sexuality keeps getting repressed and repressed and repressed because it wants you to be juicy and rich and full. It wants you to to be weird and messy and not perfect. It wants you to do all of those things. And when you suppress it, you're suppressing such a vital part of yourself, such a vital part of yourself. And like, I never really understood that until I started doing the Momgasm podcast. You know, I knew that sexuality was clearly something that we were suppressing. You know, like in my early years, I was very in, into feminism. I was very into women's rights. And that all stemmed from my sexual trauma as a kid. And, you know, so I, I've always had this vein of sexuality within my life, unfortunately, from being a young child. It was always a very negative view of sexuality. And what I, I kind of had my own renaissance when I gave birth to my second son. And that was to rediscover what sexuality means. And when I went through that process, I discovered that not a lot of us know knows what it means. Not a lot of us even have any idea, inclination. A lot of us are pushing it away and don't even want to look at it, don't even want to talk about it. And when it does come up, it's like, uh, I feel like a lot of the a lot of people's gut reaction is just to do it and get it done and over with and then don't look at it ever again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something weird about it. Yeah. And it, and sexuality just doesn't entail eroticism doesn't just doesn't entail um being a sexual person with another person it entails so much about who you are and it really does um it really does inform your your soul it informs the essence of who you are and informs your creativity it even has a link to your inner child i mean that's where your sexuality is born as a kid and that is another topic people don't want to talk about this is a topic that's so important and not really out there, is it? And not I can at all. completely see the linkage between expressive art and discovering your sexuality because I, I mean, I can only speak for my own experience and being a woman, especially, and we're kind of taught a lot of contradicting stories. Mm-hmm. So we're supposed to be all of these things, yeah. often they're opposite too. So like be sexy, but not too sexy. Yeah. Or like be, you know, be free, but also be a little reserved in this setting or around these people or like yeah. don't date too many people, but yeah. you're cool if you're, you know, and it's just, it's so confusing and it, it is really limiting in how you can explore yourself and find your true authentic expression of that because you're just like, not only are you given the rule book, but the rule book is like double sided where if you flip it over, it's like, ah, scratch everything you just read. You're actually supposed to be this. Yeah. And you're supposed to look like this Mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And like all of these things just get whirlwind together. And yeah, so I can totally see how it would be. You know what? Let's just do this because I think this is how it's supposed to be. And then I can forget it and move on with my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we look at sexuality as as this surface area of, of how we present ourselves in order to be attractive we even do that even in the bedroom when no one else is looking. We're still doing it in a way of how am I presenting myself to still be attractive? When really what sexuality, all it really wants you, you to do is just put yourself in your own freaking body for once. Just feel into your body. Mm-hmm. It's not that scary. Just feel into it. Get in, t- get in touch with your senses. 
And and that's what creativity does when you're engaging in the process, whether it's athleticism, whether it's dancing, whether it's baking, whatever it is, you're having to tap into your body and trust your instincts. You're having to trust your hands or your feet to do the thing that you know it can do or trust your voice or whatever. You're getting into your body. You're tapping into it. And so just by engaging in the creative process, you're tapping into your sexuality. And then your inner child, when you tap into that, you are tapping into your imagination, into your ability to play, you know? And so, man, it's, I feel like society has distorted so much of our view of of these aspects of the soul. And I feel like I'm kind of on a mission (laughs) to kind of like establish this renaissance, not all by myself, you know, and I don't, I'm not putting this pressure on my shoulders of like, I'm the one doing it and only me. I feel like I'm in service to it. I'm in service to it. And I have been for most of my life, you know, and, and um, I will continue to be, you know, I, I, this, this isn't just me saying, I enjoy this thing and it makes me happy. This is me saying, this is a part of who I am and a part of so many other people and so many people are repressing it and forgetting about it. And it's causing so much pain in their lives. And all it takes is just for you to open up and look inside and, and realize that there's far more in there that needs to come out than, than you realize. And it's not all dark. It's not all scary. Yeah, we have shadows, but like every shadow has lessons and wisdom and, and fun. You know, it's a journey. How important is helping other people in what you're doing? Oh man, it's everything. It's every yeah, it's absolutely everything. I'm I um again, going back to childhood. Like yeah, this this it, it, childhood does have so much everything to do with it, but I always want I always knew that I wanted to help people, you know, so much so that like my mother will say that um I was the one who stuck up for, you know, the outcasts. You know, I would I would stick up for kids who were getting bullied, even stick up for myself against um, the authority, um, teachers in school. Like I, I have always had this feeling of truth, of wanting to be okay and speak truth, be honest. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that not a lot of us are honest with ourselves including myself. I wasn't always honest with myself. And it's to our own detriment. And it's really not that scary to look at yourself honestly. And I want to do it in a way, I want to help people. Um, and I, and I, I, you know, I, I get that what I'm talking about can be intimidating to other people, you know, doing the soul work, doing the journey. I get that that can be intimidating. Not a lot of people want to dig into their shit, their shit bag. <laughs> it's not an enticing thing, you know? People don't want to get their hands dirty. But I... Uh, it's not always as scary as it seems. It really isn't. And I think that we envision when we open up that shit bag, it's just going to be immediate and it's going to be there and then and now and present. And yeah, you might have an immediate feeling, but not everything is going to be there and present and forever always there. You know, it's, it's not one linear process. It comes in waves. It comes in, in whatever way it needs to come to you. And I, I have this desire to, to sit with people and bring them levity and bring them guidance and, 
bring them a listening ear and just sit with them, sit with them as they feel into their shit, their own very own shit bag. The 2022 treat bag this year. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, like a lot of people may have that feeling of intimidation or or not knowing where to start. We hear a lot of buzz about it's important to work on yourself or to do the work or to follow yeah. your intuition. And while that's good advice, it it's so vague. And it I think that alone can make it a barrier to even begin. Yes. So in your opinion, what would be like a simple step one or a basic piece of advice just to kind of play with that process? Like what what does it mean to start to do the work like what what work what what does that mean where do you start like just for those who might be kind of like i don't know i hear about this stuff but (laughs) yeah (laughs) right okay i would say step one get a journal that's pretty simple yep just get a journal uh and every day, just write down how you feel. Doesn't even doesn't even have to be like accurate. Doesn't even have to be concise. Doesn't have to be a full sentence. It can literally just be fuck, or it can literally be shit bag, shit bag, or angry, or mm-hmm. oh my god, this day sucks, or I am feeling ugh. It's it's can be very very simple. Like yeah, just get a get a get a journal and start start writing how you're feeling. Start getting in tune with that and like ask yourself, how am I feeling in this moment? And allowing yourself to like draw it out, write it out, and then just be done with it and try and do it as often as you can. Mm-hmm. I, my journaling practice, I've been writing in a journal since I was eight and I, I love journaling. Journaling and, and art go hand in hand for me. Um, and it's a part of my work as an expressive art facilitator. I, I highly encourage people to get in tune with themselves through through the writing process and um and and I, there's something really special about about journaling, you know, you this like this entity, this book that you're writing and kind of yeah, it create it has its own kind of life force and you speak to it in ways. You know, a lot of us don't feel comfortable speaking to a therapist or to a friend about the shit that's going on inside of us and so the journal kind of takes on this entity, like this safe space. And it's a container. It holds all of your feelings and your emotions. And every time I talk to people about journaling, they're like, yeah, it's a diary. I don't want to have a diary. Mm. I'm like, yeah, totally. I get that. But at the same time, it's also um, a level of catharsis, you know, that you can that you can easily achieve every day. Just a five-minute moment of catharsis, a five-minute moment of presence, and then you can be done with it. You don't have to have the big grand gesture of meditation or the big grand gesture of like a spiritual awakening or anything. It's literally just a five minute write. Yeah. And and, and often you'll hear people are looking for, I don't want to say a quick fix. Uh, it's rather yeah. the the gateway. I'll, I'll describe it as, and I have found, and this is just me, but you know, Mike, you and I have talked about this before and with other guests we've had on the podcast I wish that maybe it could be more complicated than this because it seems like that is what would satisfy the minds of so many. But it really is as simple as just showing up and doing that thing. Like if you want to have a healthier body, like you just got to go for the walk. Like we can't make it more complicated than that. It really is just consistency and building that muscle. And like you're describing with journaling, it doesn't have to be complicated, but do it every day. 
Yeah. You can't do it once and expect to be Buddha. It's This reminds me of a book I'm currently reading. Um, it's, um, it's called uh, The Practice, Shipping Creative Work by Seth Godin or Godin. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he pronounces his last name. And he talks all about the practice and establishing a practice every day. And it doesn't matter what your practice is, like whatever it is. But he really goes through so much in this book, and I'm only halfway through it, but all about developing a practice. And it, it's so simple. Like, and, and yeah, that, that's the butt of the joke is just how simple it really is. And it's infuriating. <laughs> and then when people say, no, I can't do that, it's even more infuriating for themselves because they're like, I can't do this simple thing. Why can't I do this simple thing? And it's like, I don't know, man, what's, what's holding you back from that simple thing? Like, what is it? What is holding you back? Get honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be honest with anybody else. You don't have to, you know, share your life story with anybody else. But at some point, you know, sit down with yourself. Yeah. Or this will be status quo. Yeah. Yeah. And sit down and record a podcast with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> whatever, man. Like, whatever you need to do to get Come on be with on our yourself. podcast. Yes. Let us know if you need a chat out there, folks. <laughs> A lot of people, after doing our podcast, had said that it kind of felt like a therapy session at the end. Podcast therapy, (laughs) so uh, (laughs) not that we're the ones like guiding the people through it. It's just after someone talks for an hour about themselves, it's like, oh, I just feel lighter. We're getting up for pee break, so (laughs) (laughs) you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I want to ask one more thing before we wrap up, and that's you spoke earlier about how you enjoy collaboration yeah and i'd love for you to speak to maybe some special collaborations that led you to have this thought or maybe a collaboration you would like to have one day or a type of art person um first and foremost i would like to collaborate with you i would like to get into a white room and cover it in paint i would really love that so after we wrap here today i have something to share with you on that note so I'll, I'm going to save that little teaser. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I have a surprise for oh, us. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Wow. All right. I'm really excited. Um, um, my other, my other, what comes to mind is his, is the collaborations that I've, I've had within Sanctuary, the events. I love the events. I love, I love, I love, I love group work. I love sitting down with a group of people around a floor of art supplies and making shit come to life, making the mess come to life. I love that. And that's where um, most of my work is going towards is not only the one-to-one client sessions, but um, engaging the community, bringing art within the community and making it accessible. A lot of people don't think that art is accessible. There's this weird gateway. There's this weird gateway within the art world. A lot of people think that they have to have some kind of knowledge around art history in order to go to the art galleries or have the money to buy it. When in reality, (laughs) you know, this whole conversation, art is a part of your soul. So it needs to be more accessible. And that's where a lot of my passion is is leading me towards is, is making those opportunities for people to have access to art and to this work to expressing themselves, to getting in touch with themselves. Um, And I welcome all future collaborations with artists within the community like that. You know, I have so many ideas of, of just sitting down with someone and making art together, you know, like there's just so much magic that comes out of it. So, yeah. I got a little fun thing we can do here. Um, So before the podcast, you had talked about how your father, Johnny Bongo, yeah, yeah. uh, had uh, taught you f- at a very, very early age that 
knowing how to back in a car <laughs> is an important <laughs> important what people nowadays would call a life hack you know just totally. just okay this is going to come in handy your whole life if you can yeah. back in tight spaces if you're just good at that yeah um what are some and this this i want all three of us to do I'm this i'm excited about this i know like what what is this what are some just bits of knowledge or information that we can give to the listeners or maybe maybe even just think of like if we were given a graduation speech because <laughs> <clears throat> i I, uh, I heard a story once about i think it was at saint of x they had this they brought in this like i don't know who he was but he was like this big businessman or something someone oh, yeah. who had uh, achieved a lot and he got up and well, most times speeches are whatever, 45 minutes, an hour, and it's usually boring as hell, and oh, yeah. you never take anything away. And all no. he said was, my only advice is get a good mattress. And that, that was his whole speech. He mm. walked off the stage, like, huh. sleep on a good mattress. like Brilliant. And that, like, your whole life, you spend, what, a third of your life laying down, yeah. sleeping. Um, mm-hmm. Having a good mattress is probably going to prevent some... <laughs> <laughs> some... Uh, injuries i guess yeah. you know like your body's going to be stronger if you're you're comfortable and but anyways that was just uh this is what i'm I'm going for things like that and i'll start off with uh make sure you always have comfortable shoes oh my i was gonna fucking say that one really i was just having this conversation with the cashier at superstore yesterday <laughs> or the day before he was like good pair of shoes is what it's all about yeah. and i'm like man there's no lie. It's a good pair of shoes. My, my Again, dad, so simple. <laughs> yeah, right? My dad, after almost 70 years of his life not wearing comfortable shoes and just wearing his sneakers till basically they just rotted away yeah. and evaporated. <laughs> and then he had to go find another pair. Says the guy who duct taped his shoes onto his feet. This is That was long ago. But I'm saying my dad, after going through this for a number of, for a long period of time, he said, just make sure you're always wearing comfortable shoes because he has f- foot problems now. Mm, His mm. plantar fasciitis. And, oh man, that's brutal. Um, yeah, but that is a good one. That's a good I, piece I think of advice. Just, like spend the extra, whatever, instead of getting the twenty dollars in the discount bin. If you can afford a hundred dollar pair, that's gonna keep your feet feeling good. That is a good point, though. I remember my mom saying that to me years ago. She's like, Sarah. Because I remember I spent, it was, oh man, yeah, I have this wicked pair of winter boots, Timberland winter boots. I've had them for like 15 years. And I remember when I spent the money on them, they were like 250 bucks. So I don't, I was quite, I was, you know, in my early 20s. No, it was like 18 or so. I remember when I came came home, mom was like, you know, I told her how much it was. I'm like, oh, you might be mad at me. I spent this amount of money. She's like, Sarah, she's like, in life, sometimes it's better to spend the extra money on the quality product than on the cheap product. She said, mm-hmm. take it, you know, like a good coat. She's like, you don't go out and just buy, you know, you could buy your just whatever coat, but she's like, if you spend a good amount of money in a nice quality, classic cut coat, she said, you'll never go wrong. You can wear that coat for years. I was mm-hmm. like, fuck mom, that's a, that's a good one. I remember, so I can remember being 18 and I found this like classic coat. It was like long and tweed. I remember wearing it around in wintertime. My friends who were wearing like Columbia, you know, the, the puffer jacket at yeah, that time. Of course. They were like, what the fuck are you wearing, Sarah? I'm like, it's a classic cut coat and it's going to last me a long time. 
<laughs> they were like, Jesus Christ, how old are you? <laughs> I want to see this coat. You and the boots. I don't even have the fucking coat anymore. I gave it away because I was like, I, I was having Passing this imposter syndrome. I was like, do, am I, I'm only 18. Why Trade these for your Columbia yeah. puffer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chicago Bulls. Yeah. Chicago Bulls. I remember one of my brothers had one of those, yeah. and I was so envious of them having that coat. Yeah. Uh, so, <sighs> what do you guys have? And it doesn't have to be a physical thing, like learning okay. how to back up. Like, uh, back I up, have yeah. two actually. My first can be summed up in one word, okay. and it would be relax. Yeah. I think that's something that we all can use a little bit more of. And yeah. it speaks to, yeah, if you're in a stressful situation, if you're whatever, like just just relax a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't have to be so intense. And my other one, much like the backing into a parking spot, is get your morning coffee ready the night before. That's a good one. And that's just, that can be anything, but it's, for me, I always get my coffee ready. And then in the morning I go and like just hit the button or some people might have fancy rigs or they can set a timer it's like a little, you start your day with a little gift to yourself. Like this is past me being kind to future me so mm. that I can start my day off in a nicer, in just a little nicer way. So those are mine. Those are good ones. As you were talking, I was kind of like going through the recesses of my mind. And the first thing that popped into my mind was something that I, that I think about often. Um... It was, it's from my grandmother and she passed away a few years, a number of years ago. And I can remember, I don't know if I had this conversation with her or my father did and he related to me. I was quite young, like I was a teenager at the time. But I remember her saying that her only regret in life was that she didn't travel more. And my grandmother was, you know, uh, she was an amazing mother. You know, she 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 ruled the home and she had a big, lively spirit, but she wanted to travel more. And I can remember when hearing that thinking, OK, well, I need to do my grandmother justice and I need to see the world. And I think that's a lot to put on your shoulders. You know, now as a mother of two young ones, I don't have the opportunities to go see the world, but I do go and see my neighborhood. I see my town. I see my community. I see our province as often as I can. Adventures is really big in our family. We go on adventures as often as we can. Um, and so I would say that is like a big thing to to remember is to, doesn't matter how big or how small it is, take yourself on adventures, you know, get outside of your backyard and doesn't matter if it's just to the playground or to the park or, you know, going up to Cape Breton or going over to New Brunswick or whatever it is, take yourself out on those adventures and, um, yeah, have, have a good time. Go out for a rip, go for a rip, bud. So learn to back in. Yep. Um, which wear, is good for traveling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wear comfortable shoes. Also good for traveling. <laughs> <laughs> Chill out. Relax. Make your morning coffee the night before. Travel, travel, travel. Travel. <laughs> um, There's your travel checklist. Do we have Grab a, yourself a bag of chips and you're set. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, we, I'm sure we could come up with a million more. Maybe we'll think about it for another podcast. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. But I do have a question, though. Yeah. Sure. What are your guys' favorite flavors of chips? <laughs> so, honestly. Well, we had this. This is going to come up in every podcast <laughs> are now. Are you serious? <laughs> This is was at the end of uh, our A for Adventure podcast. I didn't get to the end. I'm Are you kidding? To the end. I thought you were I'm... just saying it because you heard the end. No, fucking 
<laughs> That's how we ended last week's episode. What's your favorite kind of chips? But no. I don't think we were asked. Yeah. So um, I I usually gravitate towards the barbecue in whatever yeah. kind of it's just classic classic barbecue like yeah. i love you know i could have second through 18th place pretty yeah. evenly ranked but there, there's my go-to yep um my favorite has always been roast chicken Ooh, roast chicken and uh i i told i told the story about uh this amount of time i ate this a large bag of roast chicken chips in before and it was, and I didn't know the exact time. I knew the distance I traveled. It was from one store to another to to the dump. We we're going, to, to, we we're going uh, to the Which, dump. No, we we're going fishing, but I finished it by the dump. But we made that drive last week, and I timed it because we were home in Cape. We're in Breton. the car, and Mike's like, "Hey, hey!" Like interrupts me. Like this is where I started eating the bag of chips. Like yeah. okay, so I timed it and. And I and at this point in time, I'm just telling the same story as last <laughs> podcast. But at this point in time, I wasn't like trying to eat the bag fast. It wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna see how fast I eat it. It was just I'm fucking starving. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so how I, big of a bag are we talking here? Just a big bag. Like, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> just small bags and big bags. Only two sizes. Not yeah. Costco. Uh, um. So I timed it when we were home last weekend, and it was three and a half minutes. Yeah. Holy shit. We're impressed. (laughs) I can see. Wow. And what's your favorite chips and length of time to eat them? (laughs) I would say favorite always will probably be dill pickle. And it's unfortunate because I can't even eat chips anymore. I can't Uh, eat potatoes anymore. So, uh, like, every time I go past the dill pickle, I'm like, fuck you, Lays. Fuck you. uh, We'll make you some, like, maybe zucchini chips with dill pickle flavor on them. It's just not the same. It's not the same. I know. It's it's not not the the same. same. Zucchini just ain't got that, that, that je ne sais quoi as a potato. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, this was, yeah. This is going to be a, a common theme, I think. This is how we'll yeah. end our episodes from now on oh, the chip shit. chat. Every you guys should chips. have bags of chips. Just uh, Well, actually, that wouldn't be great for podcasting. Never mind. <laughs> Just munching <laughs> on chips. Eat them afterwards. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's true. Halloween's coming. Yeah. We'll go out to all the neighborhood kids and steal a couple bags. You guys could just le- like when people are leaving, you give them a bag of chips. That could be their parting gift. A little bag of chips. We give you something. We give something. <laughs> oh, shit. We, uh, you were in tune, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> the last two years, we've become a big chocolate bar on Halloween house. Oh, so, you're the full-size house? Yeah. We're the full-size house. That uh, is yeah. not what we give our podcast guests, though, so <laughs> no. don't get too um, excited. <laughs> so I just, I just had the revelation. Like, you know, I when I was a kid, yeah. the people who gave me full-size chocolate bars i love them yeah. forever speaking so, of inner child we yeah. remember the big chocolate so bar i i just want the neighborhood kids to remember me as the guy who gave them chocolate bars and they won't egg the house and i don't know when i've when i'm walking by a group of kids they're not gonna <laughs> yo that's that guy with the full size <laughs> yeah um so i yeah I'll, in a couple of days, I'm gonna go to the dollar store with fifty dollars, you know, and just get fifty big oh, bears. So funny, I love it. But anyway, happy Halloween, happy Halloween. and uh, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you guys. It means this a lot. Awesome. Yeah, this, this was awesome. Thanks yeah. for your openness and honesty and passion. Always, and we'll send people to the sanctuary. <sighs> yeah, spend some time with you. How can I, how can people find you? 
Oh, that's a good question. So you can uh, find me on Instagram at Come to Sanctuary. Uh, that's where I post all events, things I'm doing. You can check out my website if you'd like to find out a bit more about me and look at some cool art of mine and pictures of me. Yay. Uh, that's www.cometosanctuary.ca. Uh, and I'm also on Facebook, but I'm not really on Facebook that much. So Instagram and website. That's the that's a cool place to find me. Um, I have an event coming up soon. I think does this air this week? Yeah. Okay. I have an event coming up at the end of this week on October 29th. It's called Nourished. Um, if you are in need of a full day of pampering, um, exploring yourself, nourishing your body, mind, and soul. I am collaborating with breathwork facilitator Sarah Mater, mm. and we are combining forces and creating a beautiful day for women to gather, to excavate, to connect, and to have some fucking fun. So um, tickets are still on sale, so you can find all the information on Instagram or my website. Yeah. So special. Awesome. We'll put all the links to everything in the show yeah. notes, too, so folks can find you and your cool, work cool, cool. and... Hook up. Yeah. Yeah, get messy. Get ugly. Get all messy. Come to Sanctuary. That's now what it's get, all about. Now we'll get you your surprise treat. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the episode, friends. means a lot. And it would also mean a lot if you can subscribe to us, Mike and Kristen, wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Apple or Spotify or wherever the hell else people listen to them. Ratings help too. Five out of five. Give us five thumbs up. Seven out of five. Seven out of five. If that could be a thing, that's what we would aspire to get. And if you can review us, that's awesome too. Like on Apple Podcasts, that uh, goes a long way when you get uh, reviews on there. Reviews and ratings help us climb the charts. Yeah, we're trying to beat the algorithm race. Woo! You can help us. This is like giving us feet rub. Yes. Training for the big day. Uh, so yeah, Spotify, Apple. You can like, you can li- like us on both or rate us on both too. You can also just send us a note and say hi or yeah. ask us a question. Yeah, we'd love to tell hear us your from favorite you. kind of chips. Yeah. And uh, what else, Kristen? Uh, what do you got coming up? We're going to talk about. Oh, some I of have our... a music week coming up oh, in right. Sydney. A Nova Scotia Music Week where I'm nominated for a couple awards and then a big ticket show. You guys are playing though Music Week too, right? Oh yeah, eh? Thursday. Yeah. yeah, Thursday night okay, in Sydney. And then uh, December 2nd big show at the Marquee in Halifax. So we're selling tickets to that now and uh, trying to get some bodies out. Yeah, it's a good lineup this it's show. It's great. It's going to be an all night dance party. It's going to be fun. Yes. So uh, thanks so much for the continued support, friends. And yeah, just send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you're the next podcast guest we'll have on, or maybe you know the perfect person to have. But just uh, let us know, and uh, we'll we'll write you back. <laughs>